All right, today we're going to kick off this extra special episode, which is also our podcast anniversary, um, with two fun facts. The first fact for this episode is that six and 10 U.S. adults now know a lot or some about Juneteenth, according to research done by the Gallup Center on Black Voices. Again, six and 10 U.S. adults now know a lot or some about Juneteenth. So that was fact number one. Fact number two is that on June 17th, 2021, two years ago, President Joe Biden signed a law that made Juneteenth a federal holiday, which falls on June 19th. So for many of us this weekend, we have a three-day weekend. We have Monday off because this day is our newest federal holiday since Martin Luther King. Um, And it's the national day to commemorate the end of slavery here in the United States. Now, Joe, President Joe, he signed this into law because there was a new interest, a renewed interest in this day during the summer of 2020. And, you know, on the cusp of nationwide protests that followed the police killings of People like George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, there was a noticeable increase in Juneteenth celebrations across the U.S. um, over the past few years. And so that's kind of how Joe ended up signing this into law and giving us this new black federal holiday. So those are the two fun facts of this episode. Welcome back to That Was It In My Textbook, our bi-weekly podcast that helps us uncover the things we always wish we learned from that boring, bulky textbook. I'm your host, Toya, and you're now listening to Season 4, Episode 9, and today is a very special episode because on this day, three years ago, I released the first episode of this podcast. So it's our anniversary, y'all. Cue the music. I mean, you know, I can't sing. I always try to sing on these episodes. Y'all know I can't sing, but it's our anniversary. This podcast was started on June 19th of the year 2020 in the thick of the pandemic when we were still wearing masks and outside was closed as fuck. And when America was the epicenter of a racial awakening. So this Juneteenth episode is really a yearly episode um, that I do every year, which is what a yearly episode means, duh. Um, And I update it, I re-record it, and I add some new info and some new lessons that I've learned from podcasting and some new facts about Juneteenth. So stick with us and keep listening because in this episode, we're talking about the history of Juneteenth, also known as Emancipation Day, also known as Freedom Day, also known as Jubilee Day, also known as Black Independence. And I think the last name is Juneteenth Independence Day. So there's a lot of names for this historic day. And in today's solo dolo episode, we're going to answer a couple of things. We're going to get into a couple of facts and answer some couple of questions about Juneteenth because it definitely wasn't in our textbooks. We'll first start off this episode with what is Juneteenth, right? What are the key things we should know about this day? And then I'm going to share 10 facts that everyone should know about this day that definitely wasn't in our textbooks. Then I'm going to talk about how... Businesses and companies are commercializing and turning, trying to turn a profit, right? In this new federal holiday and how it's a little problematic, right? And going back to that age old debate of what is 
appreciation versus appropriation, right? Or like trying to capitalize. So we'll get into that. And then we're going to have a little podcast reflection explaining why I chose Juneteenth to start my podcast and some lessons I have learned this year. So let's get into the history of Juneteenth. We're looking at 10 facts this year. Last year I did nine. And then the year before that, I think I did six. So, you know, every year we just stacking on new knowledge that we learn together. And as we start off this history segment right now, we're going to start with a definition because we love a definition. It gives us the background. It gives us a great start. So what is Juneteenth and how did it begin? Juneteenth is a federal holiday in the United States commemorating the emancipation of enslaved African-Americans. On June 19, 1865, about two months after Confederate General Robert E. Lee surrendered in Virginia, Gordon Granger, a Union general, arrived in Galveston, Texas to inform enslaved folks of their freedom and that the Civil War had ended. General Granger's announcement put into the effect the Emancipation Proclamation that was actually issued two and a half years earlier on January 1st, 1863 by President Abe. Today's Juneteenth celebration takes place everywhere, backyards, parks, as well as large festivals and parades. And Congress finally got in on the action in 2021 and declared Juneteenth a federal holiday. So yeah, that is what Juneteenth is. That's how it came to be. You know, some enslaved folks in Texas did not know about the Emancipation Proclamation. The war actually continued on two years after the emancipation. So those rebellious states, those Confederate states, chose to not share with the people that they enslaved that they were actually free. And so not until that surrender by Robert Lee did those enslaved folks in Texas finally get told by a union general about the Emancipation Proclamation and told that, you know, slavery is over and that they are no longer enslaved. So yeah, it's a little complicated, but not really. I think I explained that well and I explained it twice, but just to to bring it into effect, okay? So that is what Juneteenth is and how we got it. So let's get into the 10 facts on the history of Juneteenth that will also clarify some of the things that I just mentioned in the definition, if you're a little confused. All right. Fact number one, following the issue of the Emancipation Proclamation on January 1st, 1863, not all enslaved people immediately found freedom which is kind of what I told y'all in this definition. Juneteenth, pretty much this announcement by General Granger was hella delayed by two years exactly following the Emancipation Proclamation that was actually signed, right, in 1863, but Granger didn't arrive until 1865, right? So this 155-year-old holiday reminds us that President Abe's Emancipation Proclamation did not liberate all enslaved black people, especially those in the Confederate states, right? The ones that were in the South that did not want to end slavery. And yeah, you know, the Texan enslavers refused to tell black people that they were free, especially during the Civil War, which is really fucked up, but not surprising. 
So you see, while A. Ligon signed the Emancipation in 1863, the Civil War didn't end until the summer of 1865. And that's when General Granger showed up with his troops and they arrived in Galveston, Texas to announce the General Order Number 3 on June 19th, 1865. Yeah, it's fucked up. Fact number two. Part of the general order number three that was read by General Granger encouraged the formerly enslaved people to remain with their enslavers, the people who kept them in bondage and work for wages. Like, what? Can y'all believe that? Like, I mean, obviously, based on history, it's believable. I can believe it. But still, you know, um, General Granger, when he arrived on June 19th in Galveston, Texas, he read this thing called the General Order 3. And I'm going to give you some quotes from that so you can see how he encouraged them to stay. So one quote is, the freedmen are advised to remain quietly at their present home and work for wages. They are informed that they will not be allowed to collect at military posts and that they will not be supported in idleness either there or elsewhere, end quote. So that first part of this order three is basically telling black folks to stay, right? These newly inspired. I don't even want to say freed, right? Because we were supposed to have our freedom. But they just told these former enslaved folks to stay with the people who kept them in bondage and also kind of warned them about being lazy, which is like, excuse me? Like, are you serious? He also went on to say that um, this quote, this involves an absolute equality of personal rights and rights of property between and the connection heretofore existing between them becomes that between employer and hired labor. So first, this order that he read was saying, you know, you should probably stay and work for wages and don't be lazy because we're not going to support you. And then it went on to say that now all of a sudden, magically, because I came here and I read this paper and I told you about the new the emancipation, now you're no longer enslaved folks. You are employees and you can trust these people have the, that have been keeping you in bondage, that have been selling your family, that have been beating you and abusing you. You can trust them to let you stay here and to work for money. Like, yeah, fucking right, okay? I just can't believe he even used the word employer and hired labor, like completely tripping. So yeah, um, that was word for word um, of the order three. And he really just encouraged enslaved folks to stay there and told them that they were gonna be treated as equal and get a salary. And we all, we all know that that wasn't true, right? Fact number three. The period after Juneteenth is known as the scatter. Unfucking deterred by Order 3, right? That warned about idleness and that warned that you could, and that promise that you'll be able to work for your employer. That's in quotes, by the way. Um, unfucking deterred by that. <laughs> um, the recommendation to stay and to work for their enslaver, enslaved folks peaced out and left. Some quite literally started packing their stuff up and leaving in the middle of Granger speaking, which I mean, based on the quote, why would you continue to listen to him? How could you blame them? 
But this period is known as Scatter, um, and it's kind of like an early Great Migration. Formerly enslaved people left Texas in numbers to find long-lost family members, right, that were either sold to other plantations or ran away or anything like that. They were just trying to reunite with their family as one part of the Scatter, and the other part of the Scatter was also just trying to make their way north into Union States in hope of opportunity and equality, Right. And now don't get it twisted. This scatter um, was also very scary because, you know, former enslavers and other people were also hunting these people down that were leaving and trying to find family and going to places of better opportunity. They were hunted down. They were in many cases lynched and killed. But this period is called the scatter. um, And I don't know, I get kind of emotional thinking about the idea that my ancestors were, you know, looking for their family, like, you know, and being separated from their family. It's kind of, it's kind of fucked up. It is fucked up. What am I saying? Kind of. Okay. Fact number four, even after General Granger's announcement on Juneteenth, 1865, not all enslaved people in Texas were given their freedom instantly. Texas is a large state, y'all, you know, hence everything is big in Texas. And actually, Texas is like larger than Kenya. Um, and it's three times the size of the United Kingdom. Like it's OD big. And General Granger's orders and troops needed to enforce, right, the Emancipation Proclamation and enforce this Order 3. But it was slow to spread. And according to historian James Smallwood, many enslavers deliberately suppress the information until after harvest. And some even beyond that, right? Years beyond that is what I mean. In July of 1867, two years after Granger's announcement in Galveston, Texas in 1865, there were two separate reports of enslaved people being freed in 1867, right? One report was of a Texas horse thief dude named Alex Simpson, who enslaved people were only freed after he was hung in 1868. I don't even have the words for this fact. Like that's, that's crazy. Fact number five, Emancipation Park in Houston, Texas was purchased specifically to celebrate Juneteenth. Back in the day, there were limited options for celebrating Juneteenth. When Formerly enslaved people, these three people tried to celebrate the first anniversary of the announcement by General Granger. A year later, they were faced with a problem. Can you guess what the problem is? Segregation. Segregation laws were expanding rapidly. So there was no public places or parks that people could go to to celebrate. So in the 1870s, four former enslaved people pulled together $800 and purchased 10 acres of land, which they named Emancipation Park. Until the 1950s, the Emancipation Park was the only park and pool in the Houston area that was open to black folks. Can you believe that? I just want to thank the four people who purchased the park. Their names are Richard Allen, Richard Brock, Jack Yates and Elise Dibble. And they purchased the park, like I said before, for $800 in 1872. And, you know, me being the researcher that I am, I was like, okay, what is $800 in 1872? Like, what is that equivalent to today? And that $800 that those four formerly enslaved people pulled together is equivalent to $19,000 today, which is 
wow, that's unheard of, right? To think that these four people were enslaved, held in bondage, didn't have any rights, were probably not paid. They were able to save and pull this money together to create a safe space for Black people to celebrate their freedom is just beautiful and really outstanding. And I actually visited the Emancipation Park um, in Houston last year. So it's still standing to this day. It got like revamped. They have like a gym. They have a new pool. It's a beautiful, beautiful space. And if you ever go to Houston, you should definitely visit the Emancipation Park. Fact number six, Texas was the first state to declare Juneteenth as a state holiday, which makes sense because... Juneteenth literally happened in Galveston, Texas, and a lot of Black Texans knew about Juneteenth way before it became kind of public information and the popularity rose during the pandemic. And I feel like a lot of them, I was like reading a book, it's called On Juneteenth by Annette, and she talks about how like the pride that a lot of Texans have, Black Texans have for it, and how they don't, how some people are were even reluctant, Black Texans were reluctant to for it to become like this national thing because it really felt like their thing. And I could totally understand that. So yes, Texas, which is kind of like you were also the state withholding information about slavery being over, was the first state to declare it as a state holiday. So it's like kind of cool, but also like we shouldn't even need this holiday really, right? Now, this day's official U.S. holiday, which we learned in the fun fact earlier, that commemorates the end of slavery in the U.S. And it's the first federal holiday established since Martin Luther King Day that was established 38 years ago. I like having these holidays. You know, they're important. I think it's important for people to know what they are. But I need some changes, right? Not just the holiday, but I need some action, some legislation to actually talk about, right? And acknowledge that black people need equal rights, that our lives matter, you know, stuff like that. All right. Moving into fact number seven, during the early 20th century, Juneteenth celebrations declined, right? And so that is just kind of like right after the emancipation, right? Right after the end of slavery, because Jim Crow laws were happening and segregation was happening. And so that kind of stopped and put a little halt to the celebration of Juneteenth. Um, In addition, the Great Depression forced many Black farming families away from rural areas into urban places to seek work, resulting in making it difficult to celebrate. So that combination of you know, Jim Crow laws, like the KKK, right? The, all the attacks on black people lynching on top of also the great depression, the economics kind of put the Juneteenth celebration in a halt. But let's go into fact number eight, which tells us that the celebration of Juneteenth was revived during the civil rights movement. In fact, um, Martin Luther King's poor people March was planned purposely to land on Juneteenth and the March participants took the celebrations back to their home states and soon the holiday was reborn. Fact number nine, Juneteenth has a flag, y'all. The flag is actually the brainchild of activist Ben Hath, founder of the National Juneteenth Celebration Foundation. Hath created the flag in 1997 with the help of collaborators and a Boston illustrator, a white woman named Melissa Jen Graff, who helped bring his vision to life. I also believe that 
though the flag was initially created in 1997, I believe it had a revamp like in the early 2000s. Um, and if you Google it, you'll find it. Um, and the flag has a lot of symbolism. So the colors are red, white, and blue, which echo the American flag to symbolize that enslaved people and their descendants are American, right? In the middle of the flag, there's a star that pays homage to Texas. You know, Texas is always associated with this star. Don't ask me why, because I don't know. Um, There's a burst outline around that star that's inspired by a nova, a term that astrologers use to mean a new star. And this burst represents a new beginning, a new freedom for the Black people of Galveston and throughout the land, right? Black people, former descendants, right, of enslaved folks. It represents the freedom for us. Um, What else? There's also an arc on the flag and it extends across the width of the flag and it's kind of represents like a new horizon, the promise of opportunities and the promise of new things ahead for black folks. And yeah, it's a really interesting flag. I don't love it. I don't hate it either. It's a flag. It's cool. Um, I think sometimes people get the pan-African flag, the red, black, and green flag, and they try to use that, but that's not the flag for um, Juneteenth. There's actually like a flag that has its own star and its own symbolism. So you should definitely look that up. It's it's cool. Like I said, I don't love it. I don't hate it. It's it's there. Um, I just didn't realize the symbolism. And, you know, I'm still looking for this freedom on the new horizons, but we'll talk about that later. Um, and then the last fact, fact 10, is that Juneteenth gatherings traditionally feature red foods, red drinks, which are used to symbolize resilience and joy. Yes, y'all. Strawberry pie, strawberry soda, red drink. There's red rice. There's watermelon. There's hot sauce, which is usually red. There's red velvet cake. Those are all a part of the Juneteenth tradition. According to culinary historian and food writer Michael Twitty, the practice of eating red foods, red cakes, barbecue sauce, punch fruit, we owe to the existence of the enslaved Yoruba and Congo that were kidnapped and brought to Texas in the 19th century. In fact, the red color is often associated with ancestral traditions from West Africa, which include offering up the blood of animals, especially red blood of white birds and white goats to their ancestors and gods. Red in many West African cultures is a symbol of strength, spirituality, life, and death. There's also red drink or red drink, as I like to call it. And a lot of different African countries and places throughout the diaspora have a red drink that's usually made from hibiscus. One popular red drink in the Caribbean is sorrel, right? And sorrel plants, along with other native African botanicals like ginger and other spices, were transported here to America alongside human cargo, my ancestors, during the transatlantic slave trade. Throughout enslavement in the Americas, red drinks have been seen as a healing beverage used to cool overheating bodies working in plantations. Hibiscus was also highly prized at the time for its ability to relieve sudden pain, reduce inflammation, and lower blood pressure that's exasperated by stressful conditions like having to work in the fields from sunup to sundown. And we continue to see the history and the cultures and the traditions of red drinks 
today in America and in other places throughout the diaspora. The cultural legacies of red drinks and the symbolism of red food to mean joy and resilience, along with other black food traditions, right? Like okra and beans and melons. Many of these food groupings, some red and some not, have come across the Atlantic from our ancestors and on our plates and in our cups today. So those are the 10 facts about Juneteenth that we all should know that I wish was in our textbooks or in our textbooks. Um, You know, I wonder, you know, now that we have a federal holiday, is Juneteenth in textbooks? Do children learn about it in schools? Um, I need to look into that myself. But I think all these facts are important for everyone to know, right? Black, white, whatever. We should know about this day. It's a federal day. We have it off. We should know why. And so these are the facts about it. And as always, I love doing this episode. This is like a yearly episode because I always learn different things about Juneteenth because I didn't learn it, you know, going to school in the 90s, well, age myself and the early 2000s, like I did not learn about this. And so every year that I do this episode, I tweak the script and I end up finding a new fact for us to learn together. Like I didn't know the symbolism behind the Juneteenth flag. I kind of like talked shit about it in the other episodes if you go listen to it. And I also didn't know that it was the brainchild of Ben, a black activist and the founder of the National Juneteenth Celebration Foundation. Usually when I when I first looked it up, it just showed Lisa. And I was like, why did this white woman come up with this Juneteenth flag? But now it all makes sense. It was Ben's idea. And then he hired her, an illustrator, to help bring it to life. So now... It all makes sense. Light bulb moment. (laughs) Um, I also didn't know that four people purchased the Emancipation Park. Like learning their names was nice. I want to look them up, learn more about them. And what else? I mean, I learned so much in these episodes every time. And I'm always just so happy. And like I said, this day has many meanings for me in particular because It's a national day to celebrate, you know, my ancestors getting out of bondage, but it was also the day that I started my podcast. And so that brings me joy for this day is thinking about like, wow, I started my podcast on this day on June 19th, 2020. And this podcast, I think I talked about it a little bit in my trailer, but this podcast was something that was kind of in the works. I originally started blogging. Um, I had a blog and Once I moved to LA about five years ago, can't believe I've been here for five years, I kind of wasn't blogging as much and I felt like people weren't reading as much, no offense. And so I actually was working for a podcast space and my friend at the time kept on being like, you need to start a podcast. And I was just overwhelmed by just like living in a new city, trying to figure out what I wanted to do in my podcast. And so the idea of starting a podcast was a little overwhelming. And then once everything shut down and I was home and I had a lot of time on my hands, I was like, okay, maybe I do have time for this podcast. And, you know, my blog was pretty much what this podcast is about. It was about black history. It highlighted black owned places, especially in Harlem, because I'm a Harlemite born and raised. And so I started my blog because I wanted to capture some of the history that was being erased and the name of gentrification before some other transplant came to Harlem and was like, this is the new Harlem and started typing, let me show you all the new places. I was like, "Uh uh-uh, I want to show um, 
you know, what I know, what I grew up with in the black Harlem. I want to talk about the history. And so that transitioned to this podcast that wasn't in my textbook. And it was great to start this podcast because then it allowed me an opportunity to interview people, which is what I enjoy the most about this is bringing in people who know more than me, who can school us on some things. So that was a great opportunity to kind of connect with people during the pandemic because it was isolating. So I started this podcast and I would just like email people. A lot of them were my friends and then some people weren't my friends and they would like respond and be like, yeah, I want to come on your podcast. Yeah, I want to talk about this. And so it was, um, although, you know, obviously the pandemic was a very sad time and a very scary time for me creatively. It was also very exciting to like come up with a new idea and have this distraction that kind of took me away from the stress and took me away from, you know, just the racial reckoning that we were also having. You know, I really also wanted to start this oral history through this podcast because coming off the death of George Floyd and Beyonce Taylor, I was like, I want to create a place that people can learn about black history, in particular, black people. If you're not black listening to this, I appreciate you. And I thank you for listening. Um, But I really kind of created this as a safe space for black people to learn about their history that's uplifting and outside of slavery, even though we talk about it sometimes, like we had to talk about it for Juneteenth, right? But just like learning things outside of genocide. So it became that. And then it kind of grew into a space for just people of color, you know, BIPOC, um, people to learn about their history. Because as I grow as a Black historian, um, I have a background in African-American studies that I got from Wesleyan University. And like, you know, after a year or two of doing this and focusing on Black history, I was like, you know, maybe I want to learn about Chinese history. And I want to learn about this because as I just started doing like a history of tea episode, um, which y'all should listen to, then I ended up learning about like Chinese history and the opium war and like different stuff like that. So with time, as I have expanded and my interests have expanded and our interests, I feel like as a society and in, in all non-white, learning non-white history, right? Because I feel like white history is taught 365 and many for many of us, our histories aren't taught until our months roll around. And so this podcast is like, fuck that. You know what I mean? Like we celebrate Juneteenth 365 here. We celebrate Pride 365 here, right? And so I wanted this podcast. This podcast is, I'm trying to affirm it, the place where people of color can come to learn about themselves 365, 24 seven. And there is an emphasis on uplifting history, right? Not focusing so much so on the genocides. I feel like that is definitely in our textbooks most of the time, although they are trying to take some of them out. That's true. Um, But just trying to show you different things and to talk about history, not only in the past, right? But this very second, like we're creating history now every day. And, you know, definitely, you know, especially as black folks, like we are the culture. So, I wanted to do that as a part of this. And that's why I decided to start this podcast. And I decided to start it on Freedom Day. And why do I feel like I'm about to cry? Okay, I'm not about to cry on this mic, y'all, in my house by myself. Um, So it brings me so much joy that I've done this podcast, that I've stuck to it. Because y'all know it's hard to stick to things, especially as a creative. It felt so good um, last week to end up on the podcast charts 
as number 60. That was like really, really cool. And even when I released the podcast, um, Cindy Crawford, yes, the model, shared it on social and it went kind of crazy. And it was on the charts as well um, that first day. And I remember just being like, what is going on, right? Like I just had this idea. I wasn't worried about numbers or anything like that. And like, look how it's growing. And so I'm just so happy and grateful that you are listening. And if you made it this far, I'm very happy and grateful that you've listened so far to um, this episode and that you continue to be here. Um, If you could take an opportunity um, to leave a review, you know, leave us five stars, whatever app you're in, you can usually scroll to the bottom and see like write a review. Let me know if you learned something. Let me know how you feel about the podcast, whether this is your first time listening or your 10th, 11th, whatever, you know, you've been here for all 50 something episodes, you know, let me know. I would love if you could leave a review. I'm trying to get to hundred reviews. We're in the sixties right now. So haven't spoke about why I started my podcast, right? Which is like, I want to celebrate people, people of colors, history, 365, not just when our months roll around and celebrate things that we are doing and impacting. Now, let's talk about the commercialization of this holiday because this is a little problematic. You know, I think it was last year or the year before where like Walmart had plates and they had like a little tag on and it's the freedom for me on the plates. Like, whoa, that's not cool. I think there was also some ice cream. There's been some problematic like celebrations where people are like serving watermelon and stuff like that, like at colleges. And um, it's just crazy, right? This is like inappropriate. It's too super tone deaf to what the day is. Um, and capitalism, especially here in America, loves to turn holidays, right, into a money-making opportunity. But this holiday is different. It's a black holiday. It's about freedom, right? It's about a lot. It's about freedom. It's about the history of this country enslaving people, which is very loaded. And I don't really think it's an opportunity to make money from it. And so, you know, you can just kind of, I think it's important for brands and people to just acknowledge what it is, right? To celebrate it. But ice cream and stuff like that is just, it's not, it's not the wave y'all. Um, and brands shouldn't be trying to make a profit off of the black experience and the black holiday, right? That even goes for black history month. And it goes into this whole like brand and stuff, seeing black folks and seeing people matter when their months roll around. And this not only happens to black folks, right? It happens to the LGBT plus community when pride comes around, it happens to Asian folks um, when their months roll around in, in April. And, you know, branches need to like hang it up, you know, just acknowledge it, be informative, tell facts or something like that. Talk about the history and leave it at that. Don't try. And I think amplifying voices, I'm with that. Like I think amplifying voices in those communities during those months is fine, but you should definitely do it all year round. It shouldn't just be amplified during that month, that said month, right? And that's just my two cents on how brands are tastelessly trying to talk about Juneteenth. Now, this holiday also, I think, is about like, okay, the 
ending of slavery here in the United States. But I think it's also a reminder, especially for black folks, about how much further we have to go as a country, how we are still fighting for equality, how we are still fighting for freedom. And so it's not like a time to be making ice cream. You know, I, I, just, I don't know how to explain that. But that's like, okay, now that's my last two cents on this topic. So I think just brands would be better off just acknowledging the holiday, talking about some facts around it and stuff like that. But don't try to turn a profit off of any holidays but for other cultures you know what i'm saying that's not what the holiday is about it's about just informing people about people knowing the history having time off i guess but it's not like oh let me make money from this it's actually kind of like a fucked up holiday like we shouldn't even have had slavery you know what i mean like having people in bondage is not something to be proud of it's not something to lie about either because i know they're trying to take it out of textbooks but it's like slow down people you know (laughs) anyway that's the end of the episode. That's my two tidbits. We did the facts. We did a little podcast reflection. Um, and then we did a little shaming of the brands who were trying to capitalize on Juneteenth. Now, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, again, if you can, it's our anniversary. It's our podcast anniversary. And it would be a great gift if you could leave a review and drop some stars um, wherever you're listening to. I would really, really appreciate it, especially on this day of freedom for black folks and on my podcast anniversary, year three, numero tres. (laughs) Um, And as usual, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Follow us all over the interwebs at That Wasn't In My Textbook. We have a YouTube channel and we have a Pinterest, y'all. And then you can also follow me, your host, Toya from Harlem, all over the interwebs. And we will have a new episode, not this Friday, but the following Friday, because we're bi-weekly. And... Yeah, I think that's all I got. (laughs) And until next time, remember, knowledge is power. And oh, happy Juneteenth, everybody. Juneteenth.